welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue with Jeremiah chapter 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says Yahweh? Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak to him face to face, and see him eye to eye, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares Yahweh. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of Yahweh came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of Yahweh, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of Yahweh. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him seventeen shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, and got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase, containing the terms and conditions in the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah, I prayed to Yahweh, saying, Ah, Lord Yahweh, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is Yahweh of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deeds, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them, Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it, and because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord Yahweh, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, Behold, 
I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares Yahweh. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now therefore thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, It is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says Yahweh, Just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given in the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today primarily is going to be all about this one action prophecy that we see right, well, not in the first paragraph, but just after. So the first paragraph sets the scene for it. We are in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So he takes the throne in 597. He reigns for 11 years, and he's ousted in 587 when Jerusalem and Judah are destroyed. So that makes this 588, roughly, maybe 587, the very beginning part. And Nebuchadnezzar still sits on the the throne of Babylon. And he is, at this point, already besieging Jerusalem. That probably began in 589 B.C. already. And where do we find the prophet? That might be a question to ask your children. So this prophet that has been saying this was going to happen, where do you think he is as the, the, the army comes against Jerusalem? 
the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah, has thrown God's prophet in prison. Now, this could actually be a good family conversation point. What did Zedekiah want the prophet to say? What did the people want the prophets to say? They wanted them to say good things. They only wanted the prophets to talk about how God was going to bless them and make them prosper. It's no different today. Hear these words from Paul as he writes to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Is that not the lay of the land around us? American Christianity is filled with false teachers that only tell people that good things will happen for them. Um, It is a whole movement, actually multiple movements. They come by various names. Uh, They kind of name it and claim it, or the prosperity gospel, or or these other various ones that are of the same kind. It's it's not good. There is a law and a gospel. There is such a thing as sin, and sin does have a consequence. This is the point where it's helpful to remember, if there is no law, the gospel has no value. Think about it. If you don't know that you're a sinner, if you don't know how evil you are and how far away from God you are, of what value is the gospel? Why would you believe in a Jesus that died and rose to forgive your sins and give you life? You already have life, right? That would be the mindset. Without the law, you don't see the need for the gospel. It also works the other way. If there is no gospel, all the law does is drive us to despair and depression. Um, it's almost almost a picture of a lion. If you take the lion's teeth away, um, if you take the teeth off of the law, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need healing anymore. And that's, that's the trouble with so much of what we live in today. So not uncommon. The prophet's had that same battle back in the Old Testament. The faithful ones did, I should say. So Zedekiah is going to give quite a long little summary of what Jeremiah has been prophesying. Um, That's what you're going to see in all of verses 3 through, I guess it's 3 through 5, the end of his quote. Basically, Jeremiah has prophesied that Zedekiah will be carried off into Babylon, into exile. The Chaldeans will destroy Jerusalem, and that God is going to fight against his own people. This is all true. This is what Jeremiah has indeed been saying this whole time. Now, Jeremiah responds, and he doesn't respond. So the question is, why did you say all this? And Jeremiah's response is to actually point to something else entirely. So here's an example of when God spoke the truth to me, is what he's going to point out. And, and it ends up being something that fits with the idea that not only is there a judgment, there's also a restoration. So his cousin... This is the vision God gives him. His cousin's going to tell him that there's a field in Anathoth, which is where he's from, Jeremiah of Anathoth, and that he has the right of redemption, which means that he is the closest person to that kinsman. That would be Hanamel. As Hanamel looks to sell his land, you're supposed to keep it in the family. Jeremiah is the next closest kin, so it's his responsibility if he wants it. Otherwise, it would continue to, to go out to others. So buy this field. That's what he's been told to do. And as he wakes up from that vision, what happens? Hanamel comes to visit him in the court where he's imprisoned and offers to sell him this field. Jeremiah takes this as proof, right, that this came from the Lord. And indeed, that is how the Lord tells you to understand if a prophecy is true or not, if it comes to pass. So, verse 9, he buys the field, 
17 shekels of silver. It's not really a large sum. Uh, we're not told how big the field is. A shekel of silver, a shekel is two-fifths of an ounce. So in today's terms, you're looking at about seven ounces of silver, which is going to be, you know, 150 bucks, something like that. So it's not a big field, not a big amount of money. But Jeremiah is going to purchase this, and it comes with all the bells and whistles of their legal system at the time. There's a deed that has to be sealed. There's going to be witnesses so that you can't just try to go back on your word that you sold your field to this guy and then you pretend that you didn't so you just get the money and you've cheated your neighbor. They've got these protections and so there's even a sealed scroll and there's an unsealed one uh, as though one is maybe going to be kept on record of the city and the other is to be kept by the individual. Uh, not a lot given here but you can see that kind of a, a mindset. And so he gets Baruch who is going to end up, we'll learn as the scribe that Jeremiah uses, he's going to be the one that is going to bear witness to this and he charges Baruch in everyone's presence to take both of these deeds, the open one and the sealed one, put them in an earthenware vessel, so a pot, uh, theoretically one that seals, and that they would keep for a long time. I guess in theory as well they'd have to bury it, otherwise it would be destroyed by Babylon here shortly because the city is under siege, right, at this time. Siege warfare might be something that you have to unpack for your kids. They may not understand that phrase. Um, but the city is besieged by Nebuchadnezzar at this time. Jeremiah comes to understand here, verse 15, that all of this is being done because Yahweh is teaching him. And that's the meaning of this, if we want to call it an action prophecy. The meaning of this all is that there's going to be a restoration. The time will come again when you can do this thing, where you can buy and sell land, buy and sell property that's coming. So Jeremiah prays. He's not quite to that understanding, and so he prays to the Lord, what is this? What's going on? Basically, is the prayer of verses 16 through 25. He praises God. I mean, look at the words he uses to praise him. You made the heavens. You made the earth. Your great power. Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. He speaks of his steadfast love. He speaks of his justice as he repays the guilt of fathers. He speaks of his greatness, his might, his great counsel, his mighty deed, that his eyes see everything, whether good or evil, that he rewards everyone according to their deeds, that he did all those great wonders in Egypt in the time of the Exodus, that he has made this name for himself with his outstretched arm. He gave them this land of promise. He swore it to their fathers. He fulfilled it. He gave them a land basically of abundance when you think of milk and honey rare things, milk being, you couldn't keep it, so you'd have to have a, the livestock to produce it, and then you'd have to drink it, so an abundance of livestock. And honey is the sweet dessert in that time. So great things. They entered, they took possession, and then everything goes bad. They don't obey God, they don't walk in his law, they don't do what he commands, and so he brings this disaster upon them. Even this, even this siege Everything that he has said has come to pass. So Jeremiah knows he has prophesied all this to come. So now the question, why? (laughs) Verse 25, Yet you, O Yahweh, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Why did you have me buy this land? It's not worth anything. I'd have been better off with the silver. So Jeremiah himself has to learn the meaning of, of the prophecy that God indeed is going to restore. Now in verse 26 you get the question. 
I guess 27, as God responds to Jeremiah, Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Ask your children that question. Is anything too hard for God? Let the text give you the questions when it does. You might change the question to or add to the question after they've answered that one. What has God promised that the world says is impossible? The resurrection of Jesus that becomes your resurrection, that you get to live forever. Now, in fairness, the world has been seeking the fountain of youth for a long time, pretty much ever, um, and they do it in many and various ways. Even the metaverse that seems to be coming, just another reiteration of this, the idea that maybe, maybe we, we don't need these bodies after all, that we can live on in some kind of a virtual space forevermore. What does the world say God has promised is impossible? Well, much. And yet he is God and nothing is too difficult for him. So indeed, he's going to do this. He's going to give it to Babylon. He's going to give it to Nebuchadnezzar because, verse 29, they've promoted him to, they've provoked him to anger. They have worshipped the Baals on their very rooftops. They've poured out drink offerings to these other gods. They've done nothing but evil in his sight from their youth. That reminds me of Genesis 6, verse 3, the, the phrase that the thoughts of the hearts of men are nothing but evil continuously. And so it is. Um, And so they've provoked him to anger by the works of their hands, their idols they've made, and the other evils that they have done. So he's going to remove the city, all of it. The kings, the officials, the priests, the prophets, the men, they've all done it. They've turned their back to him and not their face, so they don't seek him. They seek the things of this world. He has tried to seek them persistently, but they have refused it. They've even... made his house a desolation by building altars to false gods in it. They have, they've sacrificed their children in the valley of the son of Hinnom to false gods. Terrible things. God says it would be better, remember that Matthew 18 verse, it would be better to have a giant millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, and yet so they have caused all of Judah to sin. So God announces that he is going to do this, But the rest of the text, verses 36 to 44, go on to speak of restoration. That even though they are given into the hand of Babylon, he will bring them back to this place. He will make them dwell in safety. They will be his people. He will be their God. Common Old Testament phrase. We've seen it three days in a row. I will give them one heart that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. We think of the new covenant that was just promised in chapter 31. We also think of the new covenant that is made in the blood of Christ on the cross that does not demand anything of us, but instead is only about what he has done for us and the forgiveness of sins that he has won on our behalf. And so he will not turn away from doing good to us. You can include us in that word them, right? I mean, this is even us to this day. It is an everlasting covenant that is still with us. He will put the fear of him on our hearts that we will not turn from him. There's a now and a not yet to this. And this is true of the restoration when he brings them home in 538 BC. But it's also more true as we come to paradise someday that he will only be for our good and we will fear him and serve him day and night in his temple and that we will not turn from him. He will plant us with faithfulness and care for us with all his heart and soul. So, verse 42, even though he's brought the great disaster, so he will also do the great good that he has promised. He is faithful. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Good or evil, 
justice, or mercy. And so the promise to Jeremiah and the promise to all the people that fields shall be bought in this land again. That was the prophecy at the start of the chapter here. Fields will be bought for money, deeds will be signed, they'll be sealed and witnessed in this land. Benjamin, which is part of one of the tribes, the places around Jerusalem, Judah, the hill country, that's a very hilly region, the Shephelah, which is a reference to the low country, and the Negev, the dry country to the south, everywhere. I will restore their fortunes. So the prophecy again, God's people will go into exile, but he will redeem them. He will restore them. And once again, they will live in this land and they will be able to buy and sell property because the land will be theirs again. 